Hello, and welcome to Follow Your Curiosity, where we explore the ups and downs of the creative process and how to keep it moving. I'm your host, Nancy Norbeck. I am a writer, singer, improv comedy newbie, science fiction geek, and creativity coach who loves helping right-brained folks get unstuck. I am so excited to be coming to you with interviews and coaching calls to show you the depth and breadth both of creative pursuits and creative people, to give you some insight into their experiences, and to inspire you. Michael Smith is a software engineer who has held product positions with Google, Fubo TV, and most recently, Prodigy Finance. He's also an avid amateur musician and actor, and I've known him since we were in seventh grade together. I've been trying to pin him down for an interview for a while because I really wanted to hear about his experience balancing such a technical field with the arts and how software engineering goes beyond strict logic and into creative territory. I asked him to explain just what the now ubiquitous algorithms we hear about are, and we also talked about how he chose the technical over the arts as a career, how the two influence each other much more closely than you might guess, and the link between mathematics and music, plus a lot more. Fair warning, we get fairly deep into the weeds of how both work, but even if some of the technical details escape you, like they did for me, I think you'll find the conversation fascinating. Thanks for coming and talking to me today. Yeah, no problem. I've been curious because obviously we've known each other for a really, really long time, but I don't actually know like how you got interested in programming and I don't really know what the heck is creative about programming. So I'm really hoping that you can help me out there. Okay. But I'd start um, at the beginning. <laughs> yeah. So, so, well, I got, I got into programming actually like, gosh, I was programming probably in like middle school, right? Like, mm-hmm. so age six, I think I probably got, I was, I, you know, at first I, um, got, uh, had like a TRS 80 mm-hmm. color computer too, way back when, and I would get magazines and then type in the code from that and then make it do something. Mm-hmm. And I think what's, um, what's interesting about software is I think it's, uh, I think it's not Ter- so so anyway so then I uh, let me let me start with let me stay with that story actually okay and then jump into the because I kind of want to talk about the what's creative about it too because I think it is um, when it's done well um but uh, but I I kept with programming because I just enjoyed making things go mm-hmm. and like and essentially creating new things but in like a more dynamic fashion mm-hmm. so the the right the really nice thing about software is it's um is it's pretty self-contained so you 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 can make it do whatever you want it to and and there's ways to make to to do that um and so it's a bit like having a lego block set made out of logic Ooh. that you can that you can kind of like mix and match and when you get good at it if you understand how like you can take something between mathematical proofs and like Lego blocks mm-hmm. and stick them together and make lights go right. That's, that's what programming feels like when it's, when it's doing it really well. Um, it tends to be, tends more towards engineering when you start talking about solving actual real world problems and mm-hmm. you really care a lot about the way in which um, you approach the application of it. And then it becomes very constrained and not terribly creative. Um, but until even when you're doing that, there are usually a multitude of approaches to it. Like I think a lot of engineering can still be very creative as Mm -hmm. long as you've got multiple avenues towards 
whatever it is you're trying to uh, achieve. Sometimes it's so highly constrained, um, you, you, you're left with only a couple different options. The beautiful thing about software is that, that the ability to mix and match your clay, right? Your, your different materials, you're not building architecture. So you're not using giant girders of steel. So for you to kind of like rip the whole thing down and build something back up in software, um, is fast and, and easy. And if you get pretty adept at it, you can have software leveraging your own software. So either you figure out how to make a pattern and replicate it. Um, uh, there's techniques such as like recursion or like really good design patterns that allow you to kind of very simply put together a couple things to make them very powerful. Um, and therefore kind of like move up the complexity very quickly. Um, which which allows you to build sophisticated things uh, very very quickly and, and neatly. And so when you get to that level, then you can be very creative, uh, and you can you can draw a lot of logical analogies between what you have done before, and like you can map one problem onto another one and realize it's kind of a mirror image of a similar problem. So you you just switch the problem around, and then actually you can solve it a different way. Um, you get taught this a lot in like algorithms where you can, you know, you've got one classic algorithm and it's, it's meant for this kind of thing, but you can apply it over here just as easily. Um, and you know, sorting is a, is a kind of a bad example there, but, uh, but there's a, there's a, there is another kind of example that's actually very good, but very complex. There's a, uh, there's a thing in software, um, where you can prove that something is uh, a certain level of com computational complexity. So whether it's Turing complete or not. And in order to do that, you need, you map a pro a product or sorry, a, a program onto another program and you figure out how you could use one program to make the other program run. And that proves that they are of the same complexity. Um, so it's a bit like uh, mathematical proofs, uh, but with all the like tangibility of like an erector set. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I have to admit there's a lot that's in there that you just said that I'm not entirely sure I understood, but it, it does occur to me that maybe you can, I feel like we hear the word algorithm all the time now, you know, Facebook mm. has its algorithms and Twitter has its algorithms and everything's got an algorithm. And I think probably most of us have this vague sense that an algorithm is something that controls something else, but I don't think we really know beyond that what that means. Mm. Can you explain it? Sure. Well, I can, I can try. <laughs> okay. I mean, there's, there's clearly uh, textbook answers, but to me, an, an algorithm is uh, is a set of instructions to do something. Okay. Right. And that, and the way in which you approach it um, really is important. So, uh and that's why the algorithm is so important. So if you decide to, um, let's say, run your errands just in the way that you wrote them down, mm -hmm. right? Like that may, might mean that you're running around town with no efficiency whatsoever. Well, you could also sort them in some way, shape or form, maybe from left to right. But your map is two dimensional. So maybe you should instead sort it by maybe the smallest distances from home first or like what are you trying to optimize for? Are you trying to optimize for the number of round trips? Are you trying to like optimize for speed? Are you trying to optimize for your gas usage? There's all these different techniques you can use to try to figure out the different 
algorithms you use to approach the problem. And this gets increasingly more complex as you, you throw larger mounds of data at this. And when you put machine learning into it, it becomes significantly more uh, complicated uh, as you go as well. So all of that is to say that, that, that the algorithms usually are almost a trade secret um, within the company, but we all kind of know roughly how it might work. Mm -hmm. um, and, and then there, and that, that's, that's usually at the industrial level at the very practical, like just learning software 101 level. There are just, there's just a course in algorithms, which is you start with some very simple, here's a couple for loops in a couple ways. And here's the most naive way you can, you can sort something. Mm -hmm. And then here's a more complex way to sort it. And here's an even more complex way, but they, it becomes more sophisticated and faster. And then if you can make certain assumptions about what it is you're sorting, you can sort it even faster and kind okay. of learning how to leverage all that up um, and kind of how that works in the real world. And then the, um, the socioeconomic implications of this at scale become extraordinarily important. And that's, that's, I think, what's most important about um, algorithms today, actually. So basically, they're tools to, that help you solve a problem. Well, it's a, it's, yeah, it's a, um, it's a set of instructions and it's the way in which you apply those instructions. Okay. Right? And as you can see, there's, there's multiple different ways you can build up those instruction sets mm -hmm. and, and those are different algorithms and those have lots, those have trade-offs between them. Cause I'm kind of thinking, you know, just from my own experience in it, that there is a certain creativity in problem solving. Cause you kind of have to think beyond, you know, if, if you're trying to, you know, sort out why somebody's computer doesn't, you know, print correctly or whatever, which is a shockingly simple example compared to what you were just talking about. But still, you know, if you've tried all the usual things, then you have to keep looking to figure out what else it might be. And it might be something completely unexpected, like this little utility that you installed over here that's messing with your printer driver and stuff like that. And so, so yeah, I mean, I think... Part of the reason that, you know, I asked what's creative about programming in the first place is that it is so logic based. And so we tend to think of it kind mm. of like we think about doing a math problem, you know, like where's the creativity in doing math? But well, I think it's, it's, it's hidden in I there. Think it's less like, and it's less like a math problem in like addition mm -hmm. than it is like one could say that actually like proving a theorem for the first time. That is extraordinarily creative because what you, 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 there are rules that you need to follow, of course, but you, you really work on your like latitudinal thinking to be able to kind of problem solve it from multiple different um, uh, angles. Mm -hmm. You're either trying to create analogies or you're trying to like explore the, the mental space of the problem. Uh, and you're trying to address it with a, a multitude of different things. Like in your, in your example of the printer, you, 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 you probably go, okay, well, it's probably this. Um, just by experience. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's just raw engineering, right? That's just, I've done this before. I'm going to apply a known problem. But if that ends up not working, you end up having to be much more expansive in your thinking and much more lateral in your thinking. And you end up, um, you end up kind of like, yeah, just, uh, you think of all the potential options and you kind of even invent like somewhat mythical options sometimes just for, kind of stimulating your brain to try to break it out of the way that it's, it's thinking about the problem. Because I've seen a lot of, um, a lot of people in technology, you can get really, you can make a really bad, um, uh, solution in engineering, 
by go, kind of going at it straightforwardly uh, and, and headfirst. Uh, in, in a lot of design, that's called like a fragile design, right? Because it, like you, you've kind of done it naively, which then the second that the problem becomes a little bit different than the one that you were trying to attack naively, it, you don't have a robust implementation to solve the problem. It becomes fragile and it falls apart. So, for example, if you just have a checklist to fix your printer problem, that will work if it's on the checklist. But right. like it, it won't say check to see like the the way to abstractly think about your printer problem is you're trying to send data from your computer to your printer. Well, what are all the ways in which that can happen? Right. It could happen this like the data, the way that the, it works is the data goes from here to here. Mm-hmm. So then how do you kind of figure out what the problems are between there and there? And what's interesting is the more abstractly and creatively you think about it, the more robustly you can handle a generic printer problem. Like the, like it could be a computer you've never seen using a network you've never seen using to to a printer that you've never seen, but you know the data has to go from here to here, and there's only a couple set ways in which that can happen, and so then then you build a re, you build a really robust mental model about the way that would happen, and then you dive into the specifics, and um and it's fine. So I think I think engineering, particularly when you when you wind it back to kind of first principles and what you're trying to accomplish, you're kind of trying to do something a lot more creatively than um. Uh, than, than kind of mechanically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that a lot of people think of, of programming as just, you know, trying to sort out raw logic. And certainly, I'll admit, I am as guilty about this as anybody, because back when I was a senior in college, someone talked me into taking Pascal. I don't know why. It made <laughs> the last semester of of my senior year just a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I remember, you know, I mean, these simple things that you take for granted. I, I, I remember this one problem and there was a really nice guy down the hall from me who kept trying to help me wrap my head around it. It was just you had, you know, no, single digits, zero through nine, and you were trying to move one to the other end of the row, which is super simple when you're a human being. You just rewrite the list and, you know, put the zero at the end. But when you're trying to make Pascal do it, it's phenomenally frustrating. And I can imagine you laughing yeah. at this because it's got to be completely elementary and basic for you. But for me to try to actually break that process down was, you know, you might as well have, you know, expected me to do nuclear physics in Martian. It, it was just completely, <laughs> completely beyond me, which obviously is why I remember it so well. So well, what's, you know, what's interesting about your example is that I think it's actually you were you were given a Pascal problem that's a lot like teaching someone only the pure mechanics of mathematics where, which, which like, I, I know you were good at math, right? So it's, it's like, there's, there's nothing, the mechanics of math aren't the point. Mm -hmm. They're, they're the way you get to the real fundamental problem, which is like the understanding and the mathematic, the representation of something real. And uh, I think, unfortunately, your first class in software development almost always has to be the kind of get through the horrible semantics of Mm -hmm. just how to make the damn thing run, which is kind of like it's the wax on wax off of like (laughs) of of like computer programming, which is like horrible. And then eventually only eventually you realize when you get good with that, that you can actually do something much more interesting with um, with uh, software development. And that's the point. 
it's kind of like um, I know so many adults who kind of struggled with algebra mm-hmm. and they never got onto calculus. And then what's really amazing is you just like you move two things relative to each other or you change like, you know, the the shadow height of a moving object or something. And just like, that's what calculus is for. It's so, it's so like ingrained in our world and our DNA that you can get your head around the concepts, but the mathematical representation is really hard. Um, and you almost should be kind of teaching both at the same time to be able to get, get your head or head around it. So I think, I think people should almost be taught teaching very abstract logic, almost the same time they're just teaching you, this is just how to make Pascal just kind of go. Mm-hmm. Um, and unfortunately they don't, cause the one is super interesting. The other's just, here's how you pick up the hammer and swing it. And, <laughs> um, and it's, and it's, uh, you really want the, the, the more interesting one. Um, mm-hmm. but you kind of have to know enough. It's, oh, well, I, I mean, I guess the same thing's true of like music. I'm trying to play guitar right now. And like, I know what I want to try to accomplish, but like the mechanics are just super frustrating. And part of that's because I've done enough music that that's not like I can, like I know where I want to go and mm-hmm. I know I just have to fight through the mechanics. Um, but I know that cause I'm on the other side of music, but like, right. and, a, and software development's a little bit like that too, where I don't know, like I know how to code, mm-hmm. but I think I've been in it long enough that I know how to abstractly solve a problem. Mm-hmm. And I happen to have code as a whole set of tool toolkits, but I can also use all kinds of other code or other, other techniques than code to try to solve a problem. Like some, some tech, some technology problems. I just whip out Google sheets and make some computations and say, right, that's done. And I'm mm-hmm. like, well, did you write a program? No, I don't need to write a program. Like it's done. Like what, like I, and I understand it. And, and like, that's all, that's all that we really need. Um, mm-hmm. the problem doesn't need to be any more robust. Um, and if it does, then I can take what I learned by doing it for real and like actually institutionalizing it later, um, by kind of putting it into code, but, um, doing it mechanically is kind of maybe the most important thing, uh, in that particular instance. But like, I just know how to solve generic problems. And I think that's the, well, that's the core of engineering mm-hmm. and you just learn, um, the only beauty, like I like to say that the most beautiful thing about software as an engineering discipline is that actually the clay is so fluid. Um, and what you're passing through it, like the data and information you're passing through it is also so fluid. So you can remix stuff in a much more creative way than many other disciplines allow you to do. Wow. All right. It's funny because you you also have me thinking about how a couple of years before I took Pascal, fool that I am, I also took a logic course in the philosophy department, not realizing that they were basically going to ask me to do math with words, which was going to make it even worse. Yeah. (laughs) You know, (laughs) and that was after taking calculus three times in order to get, you know, a a grade on a transcript or not a grade credit because I had to transfer it. But, you know, after after failing calculus. So there's life after failing calculus. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I never got to that whole shadow thing that you were talking about. I just got to, oh, dear God, when's it over? But um, <laughs> but yeah, logic was just, oh, what am I doing? And I think I think logic for me was probably like physics. Like I find physics absolutely fascinating until you make me do math with it. You know, like mm. the, the concepts of how things move and how things behave and stuff like that, I think is really, really cool. 
And then, you know, Milt Bushy would make me do math with it. And that was where it all fell apart. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah. And I think I think there would I think there could there almost should be a, um, there be a huge value to many adults who don't like the specifics of mathematics to still be able to take and understand mathematics and physics and chemistry and a lot of sciences at like kind of an, at a, at that kind of almost appreciative level, but I'm Mm -hmm. not trying to dumb it down really. Like I'm not trying like, like the, just to know that you, that, uh, like, so many things in physics, for example, are just pendulums, like mm-hmm. springs or pendulums, you know, a, a circle can be described as a pendulum. Like there's like there's a million different ways in which all this stuff kind of interrelates. And for you just to kind of be able to get that instinctual feel and see how the systems work uh, together, that's like almost more important. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then and then actually, to, if you want to do it for real, you do need to actually get down to the numbers to actually make it happen. It's a bit right. like, uh, it's a bit like it's one thing to kind of like understand an algorithm, but you then have to code it in Pascal. You have to do mm-hmm. the damn thing to make it actually <laughs> run. Um, yeah. Otherwise it's just not going to work. Yeah. I, I don't know. I think I'm, I'm cool with being on the level of understanding and appreciating and letting the experts do the work, but, but yeah, <laughs> I do wish there was an intermediate. I, I wish even in high school that there had been some kind of, of level that was, you know, for people who are really curious about how things work, but mm. aren't into the math side to just go and like do the experiments and run the marble down the hill and, yeah, you yeah. know, stuff like that. I think, I think that would be fantastic, but you know, nobody uh, asks almost- me. It's almost science appreciation, much like yeah. you can take an art appreciation course, mm-hmm. right? You don't actually learn how to make art in an art appreciation course, right? But you learn how to appreciate it, and the same you could almost do mathematics and science appreciation, uh, even if you can't actually work. If you have, if your brain doesn't work so that you can actually understand the the the, the numbers, um, and yeah, yeah. And what's really interesting is like actually software. So is is actually much more like logic. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to know logic to make it happen. You don't actually have to know numbers. Like my calculus and even for God's sake, even my like my like I don't you don't use any basic arithmetic when you're doing um uh software most of the time. You just let the machine do it and you know it's a little do it at scale and generically. You just know you know you you when and when this number comes in and that number comes in, you have to multiply the two of them. Mm-hmm. And you're, you're just like machine, multiply those two when they come in. Done. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> but you do need to, you do need to care about like all the logical um, difficulties of doing that. And when, when those two added together is going to either be zero or infinity effectively to the machine, what are you going to do about it? Right. You need to kind of like understand the logical yeah. um, consequences of what you do. Yeah, because there's big difference between those two things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But the machine doesn't know squat until it actually gets those things in, and if you don't tell it to do to to fix those uh, those mistakes, it will just do whatever you tell it to, and then just plow on forward. Right, garbage um, in, garbage out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> Since you mentioned music, and that was the other thing that I wanted to talk to you about, and because I remember, you know, you were always 
making stuff up on the keyboard and in every musical in middle school and high school and all of that. Um, I'm kind of wondering, first of all, like how, how those interests competed back then, you know, did, did, did it kind of, was it a huge decision for you to decide that you wanted to do computer science rather than music in college, mm. for instance? I mean, how, how did that all come together? Um, so yeah, there was a there was a choice, there was a, deci- a dis- like a point at which I needed to make a decision. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, I cheated in the in, in with respect to kind of like your question. So the, the moral of the story. So let, let, actually, let me. T- I have two data points as to how I made this choice. Actually, and I don't regret the choice. Mm-hmm. Um, in in that um, in high school, I had a voice teacher who who I said, you know, I'm thinking about maybe majoring in music. And he said, don't do it. Mm. And he said, he said, look, 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 what I mean. And, and I think my face fell right. at the time. And I was like, what do you mean? And, and like, <laughs> I, I think, and he said, look, if what, me saying that is enough for you to not do it, then that's probably right. He said, this job and being a professional musician in any way, shape, or form is so damn hard and doesn't pay anything. Mm-hmm. So if you can do anything, do it. Mm. You will have a better life. <laughs> and I think he was just being, and he said, and use all your free time to do whatever the hell you want, including as much music as you want, mm-hmm. including whatever you want to do. And like, and and see the best stuff you can. Like he he's like I can't afford tickets to go see like everything I want to see. Mm-hmm. You know, but like um so as a result, like I'm a software developer in a you know in a major city, and I can afford to buy tickets to like world class mm-hmm. performances all the time. And um and I can and I can be like oh yeah let me buy that two hundred piece of soft two hundred dollar piece of software for playing with synthesis today mm-hmm. and like just not, it's okay. Like, like that's, you know, I can't do it every day, but like <laughs> you can, you can do those and it's not a problem. Whereas like a musician be like, okay, I need to pinch my pennies to be able to like mm-hmm. get my $200 to be able to like do it. Um, and so, so that's one point. The other thing I think that happened to me was, um, went to, uh, that summer camp, that Pennsylvania governor's school for the mm-hmm. arts in, um, in between my, uh, junior and senior year. And in that it was pretty much an intense summer only program of effectively what was a music uh, program Mm -hmm. at that time. And it was actually just any any arts, but I was in the music one. And at first of all, I found myself taking a whole bunch of like maths related um, work like uh, synthesis and like composition and the theory of electronic music. And so I, I just gravitated immediately towards the, towards the like math stuff. Mm -hmm. And then, um, uh, and then the other thing I, I, I just remember at the end, I was like, I miss doing hard math problems. Like, wow. After, after that. And I was like, I, okay, there you go. Like, that's probably my life is going to be better if I do the stuff that actually as, as, as crappy as a system as it is, right. Capitalism will reward more mm-hmm. the like practical as opposed to the like creative also, also probably, I mean, it's mainly, it's also a supply and demand thing. Like everybody would love to just be creative their whole time. They're, right. they're like pure creativity. 
um, as opposed to – and then I realized, oh, actually, if I do this right, I can do applied creativity um, if I can get away with it. So for a while there, I was actually toying with the idea of um, going into like um, music engineering. So uh, so like uh, studio work mm-hmm. and um, and being the person behind the desk. Uh, right. And and being understand uh, being able to understand the technology. I even took um, physics to a relatively high degree, so that I, I even took like a class in like acoustics and physics. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, that to this day is the hardest class I've ever taken in my life. It was like it was three dimensional um, calculus derivations that took three or four pages, legitimately, of like wow. proofs to actually resolve. Because it, it, they 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 were really hard problems, and I only got them right a small fraction of the time, which was enough to get me an A in physics. Physics is a ridiculous major, um, <laughs> because like because it's so hard and it's so like difficult um, that that the curve is is off the charts weird. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you make a passing fly at it, and you just you get your friends to help you, you know, when you actually do it for real, you know, you have enough. You have peers reviewing you all the time and you mm-hmm. don't do your work by, by yourself. Anyway, so I was I was trying to split the difference. And then I realized, actually, I just I actually enjoy the creativity of applied engineering uh, straight up and it pays better and I can still do theater, you know, in my spare time and have a guitar and, you know, have an iPad app that allows me to do um uh, sequencing and music composition while I'm on the plane in mm-hmm. between my, my work, you know, so I'm, I'm still playing with that stuff. But, uh, and what's interesting is, uh, I have some, some friends in London who flirt with like their semi-professional theater people. Mm-hmm. And they, um, the tough part about that is they can't choose their jobs. So sometimes they have to do, the crappy pantomime mm-hmm. gig that over Christmas and they have to play the same show like for three months in a row to kids doing stupid fart gags. And mm-hmm. like, that's how they pay the bills. Right. Whereas I'm like, uh, you know, in the amateur world, I'm like, I don't, I don't want to do that show. I'm going to do this show over here or I'm going to like mm. delve into my own stuff for a little bit. So I end up like creating a space to, to be able to be creative Um in the way that, that like I, I want to. Um, and I actually find that, that, that throughout my life that when I've been worst off is when I don't feed both sides of my brain. Yeah. When I go too deep in one, one way, actually most of the time, of course my job is going to pull me more towards the practical. Mm -hmm. Um, but if I don't keep the right blend of the, uh, creative in there as well, that, uh, that it will stagnate and I won't, I won't feel at ease doing it. And it'll feel like, it'll feel like it's real work on the, uh, on the engineering side. And it's not, um, it's not the kind of job I want. So I, mm-hmm. I really try to find that blend of the, the creative and the, uh, the, the technical. And if someone only wants the mechanical, what's, what's, what a, then then usually that's not a highly competitive job and that's usually not a super interesting job mm-hmm. and usually that's not where you want to be anyway so the best jobs are actually the ones that require you to kind of think outside the box pretty often mm-hmm. right um and 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 
that's innovation in we just they just call it innovation in technology right, right. but it's it's the same thing so it's interesting hearing you say that because i don't i don't think i've ever noticed the one or the absence of one affecting the other and i mean what i do is not technical in the same way as what you do but there have definitely been times when, say, I haven't sung with a choir for a couple of years and all of a sudden it's like I reach the breaking point and, and it'll hit me out of nowhere. And it's like, whoa, I got to go do something about this before I lose my mind. So, yeah, yeah I think that's I probably. Bad, I don't know what your symptoms are when that happens. <laughs> like I end up being a bad person. I end up like being wound too tight. I I don't I'm not graceful with my problem solving just in general. Um, through all aspects. Um, yeah. And, and usually being able to push it creatively means that, um, at least to be able to give it, get a creative outlet means that I can apply. Um, my mind is usually at like an, an, a problem solving open, um, kind of a little bit more easygoing, a little bit more adaptive Mm -hmm. way. And if that, if I don't get that outlet, like almost everything else becomes more rigid and, and seizes and like, and like, I'm not, I, yeah, I, yeah, I'm just not as creative in just about everything, including like just plain old conversations with people, Mm -hmm. you know, how I, how I solve I mean, we all solve problems at work. Right. And Mm -hmm. like the more creative, the more, the more you might find another way around a problem, even if no matter how simple the problem is. So, um, so yeah, I feel like if you don't, if you don't constantly work the creative side, you're not going to be able to achieve what it is you need to achieve in any, um, realm. And so I find that that, that blend actually helps a lot. That's really interesting because I've never let it go long enough to actually codify what what happens. I just kind of realize this sense of general malaise and that I need to do something about it and, and go do that as soon as, as humanly possible. But yeah, yeah, I wonder how often that happens to people and they don't even realize that's what it is. Yeah. That's, that would be really interesting. Yeah. Cause I mean, we deprioritize the creative in our culture. So, you know, you go to work and you're an accountant all day and my cousin, the accountant is going to hear this and scream at me, but she'll have her interview later. Um, (laughs) but you know, if, if you're going to work in your accountant all day and you're just using that part of your brain and you're not doing the other things because you've written them off or, you know, people have said, Oh, that's not that important or just be happy. You're making all this money as an accountant. Then you might not actually notice as easily that that thing is missing and that it would actually be really beneficial Mm. to go do it again. Yeah. And, and I think that's where probably in, in, because I, because I miss math, if you don't give it to me for mm-hmm. a while, like I can't, I can sustain and be happy and functional in society, supposedly <laughs> uh, with, without creativity. And, but then I really notice that I, it doesn't, um, it affects even that, that ability. Uh, so especially as you get later on in your career, when, your problem solving needs to become more abstract as you go, Mm -hmm. right? The problems that people give you are bigger and hairier and nastier. And therefore you need the creativity to be able to like kind of solve it, not mechanically, but kind of a little bit adaptively. 
um, whether it be because of people or situations or like your resources that you have at you. Um, so, you know, unless you're in a ridiculously con- controlled and totally uninteresting job mm-hmm. like that, which I don't think, I mean, that's going to be a lower paying job, right? That's going mm-hmm. to be a little bit mechanical, even if it's in information technology, if you are an accountant and really you're just shifting stuff from an inbox to an outbox, then I would actually say you're not really doing accounting. You're just doing mathematics. Right. And, and actually usually accounting is applying some kind of logic on top of all this stuff. So, uh, and, and the more, the more senior you get, the more, the more, like let's not let's not talk about creative accounting. That's not actually what we're talking about. Right, we're right. Talking, we're talking we are, but not that way. <laughs> exactly. Creativity in the uh, in in the way in which you approach the particular those particular right. problems. Yeah. Which is why I want to talk to her too. But um, yeah, yeah. But yeah. So so we're kind of like semi in the territory of what I wanted to ask you next. But I I'm curious to know, you know, really how how the two have fed each other for you, because especially because, you know, you hear people talk about how music is so mathematical, which is not something I've mm. ever, I mean, obviously, you know, you've, you've got a meter and you have rhythms and things like that, but I've never really delved into exactly what that means, but maybe you have, I don't know, but I'm curious to know if you've, if you've seen any relationship between how, how the technical influences the, the musical and the creative and, and vice versa mm. for you. Mm. Well, um, so I can talk at length because of those classes <laughs> on like synthesizer theory and mm-hmm. like I doing basic synthesis. And then since ever since then, like I I'm, I'm totally fascinated by the fact that music is nothing more than like tickling our pattern recognition mm-hmm. uh, system in our brain. Even tonality is even a major chord is self-reinforcing both math- mathematically. And then therefore it, be, it, it tickles a pattern recognition system um, that's why like an octave is an octave and a major chord is a major chord and like a minor chord is a minor chord that like, there's a mathematical reason why you can explain all this stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's extraordinarily, um, it, I think almost all of this is like when you get fundamentally down to it, it can be, it it's technical, but then what's really interesting is it elicits an emotional response because of the way in which our bodies are tuned to, understand those things as intrinsically good or bad because like a self-reinforcing pattern is like elegant and interesting and like and like naturally like self-strong in some way shape or form right so like that's why music is interesting and some kind of also also we love repetition but we also love when it breaks Mm -hmm. so the best music like a hook is almost the definition of like the definition of a hook is almost like a pattern that repeats, but then like catches you with it's like anti-pattern mm. in like a totally interesting way. Right. And, um, and, and you find that like fascinating and you can't get that, you can't get that like both the pattern and the breaking of it, like out of your head. That's, mm-hmm. that's almost the definition of a, of an earworm. Right. Right. Um, and like, um, so anyway, so just knowing all of that stuff, right. Is, is kind of the way in which you can, I mean, this just goes, this goes all the way down, right? It goes to the way in which you see that, that software patterns that are self-reinforcing are like elegant. And then occasionally there, there are things that break them and like, you need to pay attention to them and those are important. 
And so those like become the, the kind of like the hook of the problem that's kind of interesting. Um, there's there's ways in which you need to creatively solve a problem and you need to deal with creative types. So sometimes actually software engineers can be very can be just as temperamental as any musician <laughs> in the planet. Right. And you you need to kind of like because they actually they believe that. And I think rightfully so. They they cast themselves very much as creative, particularly if they're in the like really um, the more scientisty they are, the more they kind of like want to explore new things. Mm -hmm. And so I think the scientist who's like craving learning new stuff about the world is just using like mathematics and physics in, in this to, to seek out new truths just as like an artist kind of is, but on the like economic social commentary kind of some, some other way. Mm -hmm. Like I think they're both trying to seek out truth. Um, and therefore they both need to understand how it is they're going to get to it, like through some kind of like process, mm -hmm. but they also need to the capacity to be able to like think laterally to be able to or expansively uh, the mental model that, that always like, I think I always think of myself as, as I'm trying to solve a problem, I'm in one of two modes. Um, and I kind of oscillate between them and I'm just, I usually am trying to kind of, um, trying to actually, play those two modes off of each other in an interesting way. Um, incidentally, as a side note for this, um, read an article once that was saying that the difference between like, like some of the best musicians in the world have an amazing mental model of their instrument or the music that they're mm. playing. And so if you actually talk to them about like how they think about it, they actually, they've got like some kind of mental visualization of like the piano or the guitar or the mm -hmm. song structure that they're like really trying to, to put together. So anyway, my simple, really, really simple mental model. I mean, I think I've got like layers on top of it now, but I usually try to think about a problem solving in it's either I'm going to try to like narrow focus, prove, you know, mechanistic kind of like actually just do the work. Like, mm -hmm charcoal technical charcoal strokes on the on the on the canvas right or i'm thinking kind of laterally and expansively and i'm like okay what if i break this and what what's not like this or like give me give me a reason why this wouldn't work or like you know and you're throwing creative thinking at the problem trying to like break loose the solution that you don't yet have um and you kind of have to like oscillate between those two to actually get to um either a painting or like a technical solution that is truly interesting. I mean, mm -hmm. there's tons of there's the the shame of it is that there's truly tons of inter, uh, good, well-paying jobs in the technical field that don't require you to do any of that level of sophistication that I'm, that I'm doing. But that's not innovation. That's mechanical. Mm -hmm. And I'm not taking anything away from that. It's just that's a different personality. That's not what we're talking about today. Right. Right. And, you know, you're reminding me that you know, the, the choir that I sang in, in college was open to anyone from the university. So you could be an English major like I was, you could be a theater major, you could be a computer science major, you could be an engineer. And it, it was kind of amazing how many engineers there were in the choir. Absolutely. And, it, you know, and my dad is an engineer and he's been a choral singer since forever, which is part of how I got in there. And I think, I think there really is something, something to that. I wonder how many how many musicians there are who are also engineers? 
Oh, it's, it's got to be really high. It's huge. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's 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 amazing. And, and, so, and a lot of them will have like a technical bent. Um, and particularly what's really interesting, what I find really interesting is because I've done like both theater, like I've actually I've done theater, but I'm mainly coming at theater as an outlet for like music, although I do mm -hmm. appreciate it from like its artistic um, bent. I think my my inherent nature was coming at it from music. So mm -hmm. really, it was the mathematical kind of kind of it tickled the same stuff as the mathematics. Um, whereas I think if you if you start really first from the creative, then you've got your visual artists who then kind of at theater and like that's kind of a little bit more where it kind of meets mm -hmm. a little bit um, because theater can be so technical. Um, it has a lot of like logistical stuff and it mm -hmm. actually has a lot of technique um, and it has a lot of. Um, uh, yeah, but what's really interesting is you can the you can really totally tell the the mathematicians who know music certainly know how to read it, certainly know a lot about the like the, the technical of it, whereas the creative people who came at music, they 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 usually don't have theory. Mm -hmm. They usually kind of, they've instinctually approached their, their mm -hmm. instrument. And the answer is like both approaches work really well. And, and I think, um, when you, when you really break it loose, you kind of know how to use both of those techniques. Yeah. It's it. Cause I, you know, I had a little bit of theory. I took piano lessons for three years and that was as much theory as I got. And every once in a while I toy with the idea of it. I never really get that far. Um, but, <laughs> but I remember asking a music teacher when I was teaching and said, you know, how is it that, cause I sight read really well. I said, how is it that I sight read really well when I don't know theory? And he said, you probably read harmonically. And I'm still not exactly sure precisely what he meant by that, but I guess that mm. I just knew where it was going to go like instinctively. Well, you, and that's what you I was knew doing. Roughly the, the distance and what it should be. And mm -hmm. then, you, and then also your ear probably fitted into the next chord structure. Yeah. Whereas, whereas what's really interesting is I think the, that the people who really know theory will, will tear apart the line of the, of the music to understand how it's, theoretically moving mm -hmm. and they'll know their part in that theory as they go. So this is a level, this is, this is actually a really good example of like the mental modeling that truly can happen with amazing musicians is they'll understand the chord structure and they'll understand how their line fits in that chord structure and why that chord structure is the way it goes. So for example, they know, I mean, this is the, this is one of the simplest techniques of, um, songwriting trickery in in uh theory which is the relative major and minor mm -hmm. is that you know like a c a c chord which is all white notes is exactly the same as an a minor chord which is all white notes and so in theory those are kind of the same it's just a matter of where you root them um mm. so those are actually the same chord those are actually the same kind of notes and actually like a like uh you know, uh, the difference between a C major chord and a minor chord, it's just one note. It's the, it's an important one. It's the fifth mm -hmm. versus the tonic of the one. So like, it's, but like just, just knowing all of that and keeping that all in your head and kind of like figuring all that out and then letting the instrument kind of help you with that as you go and like helping the music kind of go as you go, like all of that is, um, yeah, it's just, it's just amazing the mental models that you can get in there. And so actually to be able to know enough about the theory it's a bit like um, a truly masterful artist knows how to use all their tools fantastically, 
such that it disappears. And now they're at a different level, multiple levels up Mm -hmm. from the mechanics and they're just automatically applying the mechanics. As I'm learning guitar, I'm, um, I'm occasionally trying my to be brave and learn a uh, John Mayer song mm-hmm. here and there. And actually, the, like, the thing about him that's absolutely stunning is, first of all, he writes very classic kind of chord progressions in his songs to root them, mm-hmm. to kind of almost all of them are very centered. Mm-hmm. Um, like if you break it down to its very simplistic theory, he's actually doing a lot of very simple stuff. And then the complexity just immediately starts layering on like then he's he's using some like weird variant of that chord to kind of get this additional sound that's super interesting in there so he's not actually following one four five he's like through the minor second in there he's like he's doing all these things and then he (laughs) uses the guitar to kind of like screw with all the variations that you could do of that chord and he's playing up the neck to kind of get all these really cool inversions and then he makes it simple again on the instrument where you like actually realize how he's playing it. You're like, Oh my God, that's so simple. And then you learn how to play it his simplistic way. And then you hear him do it live. And you're like, Oh my God, he just started there. And then he went crazy and he understands his (laughs) instrument so well that he Mm -hmm. starts, he like broke it down again into simple. And then he took it to complex again. And you're like, ah, and that's why that's all these like layers of this kind of, theory like he's alternating between like the theory and the the art and mm-hmm. just constantly playing the two off of each other to get to that level and i think some of the best art actually you can see the you can see the interplay between the creative and the technical and then you can see it kind of like come and go and like oscillate between those two kind of modes um that is so fascinating um, and that's yeah. right back to art appreciation again yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because if you don't know enough about what you're talking about, you'll never see it. You'll never hear yeah. it. You'll have no clue. You'll just say, oh, that's nice, which is kind well, of and, how I feel and, if I go to MoMA. <laughs> and, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's a pretty reasonable, like, that's the emotional kind of ultimate bedrock mm-hmm. level. Like, so nobody's saying that that doesn't exist. It's right. just if you then also understand the techniques it took to get there and all the thinking behind there, then then that piece has that much more weight mm-hmm. and you understand all of what that took to get to that. Yeah. Um, and, and I usually don't have that, you know, even with a piece of music that I know well, but I was talking to um, Donna Fortunato a couple months ago and I said to her, you know, I, I wanted to do, uh, I heard Ray Fon Williams, Dona Nobis Pachem on the radio one time and was just like, I couldn't get out of my car. Because I was like, what, what is this, you know? And so I wanted to do it, but nobody around here was doing it. I, I picked up a copy of the score for myself for my birthday one time, you know, when I was at the Princeton University store when they used to sell sheet music. And so I had it, but you know, I can't, I can't do a part, a piece for orchestra and four part chorus by myself. That's kind of hard. Um, (laughs) And then Westminster will do these summer sing-ins where usually it's something like the Fari Requiem or, you know, Beethoven's Mass in C or something like that, that a lot of people know. And so people just show up and you run through it. It's not, you're not going to learn it if you didn't already know it. Right, right, right. But they did that one night. So I went because I was like, I'm finally going to get to do this. And I hadn't realized that, you know, when you don't know it, 
you know, I stumbled through this piece for an hour and it was so frustrating. It was like being torn between, I finally get to do this and this is just chaos in my head. I have no Mm -hmm. idea what I'm even trying to do. I don't, I don't even know if I had listened to it recently before I went. But then a couple of years ago, I finally got to actually sing it. And when you sit down with it for three months on a regular basis and you start learning the notes and learning the part and putting it all together in a rehearsal and sitting down and listening to the recording. So now you can hear what it's going to sound like when you all figure out what you're doing. It, it, you really get into this nitty gritty. It's like you get inside it in a way that you can't do just by listening to the CD or by going to the sing-in where you hope that other people know it. I don't think they've ever done that one again, I think for a reason, but, (laughs) um, you know, and it's, it just becomes a completely different experience, a completely different piece because now you're sitting in the middle of it and you know what's going on and you, you know, all the little bits that, you know, the, the piano or the violin or, you know, the, the little bass line over here that you really love and appreciate that you wouldn't have noticed before, which is a completely different angle from what you're talking about. And yet I think it's really the same kind of thing. Yeah. No, it's, it's exactly the same. Like you, yeah, the more you know, the more that you can, you can kind of, um, you can get to another level of artistry mm-hmm. by appreciating the technicalities. Um, and I think it's, it's that kind of going back and forth between the creative and the technical that I think is actually like everybody does. Yeah. I mean, it just uh, it sinks into your bones. It, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I mean, otherwise it, I mean that if you don't put any technical in, it's kind of the definition of like punk art, right? Like, which, <laughs> Which isn't to which isn't to say that that isn't a thing, but then that becomes like the attempt there is to remove all the technical mm-hmm. and push it push it almost all to pure emotional. Um, and what's really interesting about that is like actually you can tell bad punk art from good punk art because there's only a few people who can really do who can really tap into that emotional so well mm-hmm. so consistently because it's almost harder than like being able to kind of blend the two of them. Um, and kind of, and, and then there's, then there's a few people who can like lever, like truly amazing jazz musicians are just thinking at like multiple levels, oh, just yeah. putting this Jenga tower together between the technical and the artistry at multiple levels, um, to, to be able to kind of, uh, you know, work a song in a way that you've never heard before, mm-hmm. just, just because that particular time they just went, huh, what if I turn left instead of right on this particular yeah. thing? And they just, and then they, then they're, they follow that instinct and they managed and they're like, then they managed to find a new interesting path because they, 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 um, they rotted through the, uh, through the song in a slightly different way. Yeah. Cause they um, know it well enough to be able to, to see where they can do that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, or they, they, they are confident enough in their abilities that even if they're going off road to extend the analogy a little mm-hmm. bit, they can find their way back. Um, the right. best jazz musicians are like, can can almost take almost any chord like, and they can find, they can get you back to this and you're like three measures, get me from here to here and they'll find a way. And you're like, and here's the underlying, here's what the song's doing during those three measures. And you've got to find a way back from your abstraction that you just went to back to the actual melody. Um, and, and they can do it right. Which is a hell of a thing. That's, that's amazing. Uh, that's yeah. That's, yeah. and but, but they, but they've got a combination of technique and instinct mm-hmm. that, that gets them gets them through that. Yep. I'm loving this. 
because <laughs> I don't really get to think about this kind of stuff this deeply all that often. So I'm looking at the clock and I know we have to wrap things up, but I'm, hmm, I don't know. I guess I'm wondering, like, how is the is the feeling of the creative process for music for you the same as the feeling of software development when you really get into it or do they hit you on two different levels i'd say that that with the the brilliant thing about most of most forms of art is that they encourage you to get to the abstract process quicker and therefore you can be staying at this level of like that i mean very few people will use software as a medium to create art. And mm-hmm. one would say that like almost like even those who do, you know, they're kind of, they're kind of using software to drive something else that's creating mm-hmm. like nobody's, nobody's create. I mean, I guess there are probably are some people who are like, who can write some code that in some way is artistic in and of itself. Um, but that's, I think that's because like, the medium doesn't lend itself. Like mm-hmm. we don't, we don't have an infinite number of mediums for expression of art. Right. And, and I think that's because those are the ones that actually let us live in that kind of realm more easily. Mm-hmm. Whereas actually like, you know, fundamentally when you get, when you play with software, eventually you are just going to like, you're going to take some data and you're going to put it over there. <laughs> do something different with it like it's it it fundamentally it 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 you know it's work mm-hmm. um whereas whereas i think the the mediums that we have for for other things are more um abstract and uh, let you be at play at that level um and i think that's the difference i think you want to apply those kinds of multiple modes and the creative mode to your technical work or to like just work in general, but it doesn't. Um, so you think about it differently because ultimately you're being really practical when it Mm -hmm. comes to like work, you're just, you're just applying creativity towards something that's practical. Um, whereas I think, you know, your ultimate goal in the other one is actually just pure enjoyment. And if you actually don't accomplish anything other than the art form that is actually the goal. Um, so I think, I think that's where you actually, so when you get deep into like the creative thinking and trying to like solve a problem as abstractly as possible in almost any job, you should be at like this creative kind of melange, but like fundamentally you're not going to go up on stage and do it like (laughs) in a, in a a really interesting kind of, kind of artistic manner like you don't think that's the next reality show no one's gonna buy a (laughs) ticket to see it well i think that's that's the thing is like actually there probably could be i mean somebody probably could right i'm sure somebody has created i'm trying to think of like i mean there there's plenty of things where people have created art with really strange mediums but the problem is that that actually takes um that takes a very specialized understanding uh whereas i think most of the things like music if you mm-hmm. were to, if you were trying applying creativity to that, it's a lot more base. It's, it's a lot more like you're much more worried about that visceral reaction that you had mm-hmm. when listening to a piece of music. That's what you're trying to evoke. So your, so your, your ultimate goal is very different 
Um, and so both are extraordinarily focused on the goal, right? I think, think doing a good job means you're focused on what it is you're trying to accomplish. Right. Um, and I think that's the fundamental difference is the one is for pure joy and you're trying to focus that. The other one, you kind of, you got to get the joy of using creativity, but like the fundamental thing you're trying to do is actually very practical and you can get yourself all, all, uh, excited about the creativity of your job and you should, but when it push comes to shove, you have to get, you have to do the thing. All righty. Well, that's an awesome place to stop. So yeah, I think we'll do that, but thanks so much. This has been a ton of fun and really interesting on a level I didn't even expect. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, you're welcome. You're welcome. It was, uh, I really enjoyed it as well. That's our show for this week. Many thanks to Michael Smith for such an intriguing conversation and to you for joining us. Be sure to check out the show notes at fycuriosity.com. And if you enjoyed this week's episode, please do share it with a friend. Thanks. You can find show notes, the six creative beliefs that are screwing you up, and more at fycuriosity.com. I'd also love for you to join the conversation on Instagram. You'll find me at fycuriosity. Follow Your Curiosity is produced by me, Nancy Norbeck, with music by Joseph McDade. If you like Follow Your Curiosity, please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to tell your friends. It really helps me reach new listeners. See you next time.